1988, the advertising agency of Wyden and Kennedy met with a client to discuss campaigns on how this client might grow their market share in the sports apparel segment. Barring their inspiration from the last words of a prisoner on death row, the Just Do It campaign by Nike was launched and it was wildly successful. How successful? Listen to this statistic. To grow their market share in 10 years, the campaign produced growth from 18% market share to 43% market share in just 10 years. Uh, Throughout the campaign, some of you may remember this. There was all kinds of people from various backgrounds telling us just to do it. There were all kinds of professional athletes, Bo Jackson, uh, Michael Jordan. I almost said Michael Jackson, not an athlete. In order to get people to be motivated to say, not just to watch sports, but to get out there and just do it. Put some legs under your own greatness. And Nike would tell you today, and we would certainly agree that uh, from a marketing perspective, it would seem that this was an incredibly novel idea. This idea of just do it. Those three little words produced over $8 billion in annual sales. But I would argue this morning that that phrase or that sentiment is not as clever as Nike thought it was. As a matter of fact, it's actually a campaign that was launched over 2,000 years ago in a church in Jerusalem by none other than the little brother of Jesus named James. So let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to James chapter 1 once again for a message titled, Just Do It. We've been in a series of the book of James now. Uh, for This is our third week, and so I hope it's been incredibly encouraging to you. I love the book of James. It's so intensely practical. And uh, what we've been looking at in this series is the thesis of the book of James is simply this. It's faith and works. The James says, hey, it's not enough to have these beliefs and have faith and exercise that you should put legs under your beliefs. And that's the thesis of the book of James. So James' message to uh, his church then and Our church now is to just do it and to stop being a listener of the word and to transition and go out and be a doer of the word. We learned in week one uh, that this series, that the first chapter of James, and really the whole book of James, is uh, a bunch of tests. And these are tests to determine the genuineness of our faith. And so in test number one, We looked at how we respond rightly to trials at the beginning of chapter 1. Test number 2 was how to resist temptation that we looked at uh, last week. And then uh, test number 3, which we'll explore today, is how to receive and respond to biblical truth. In other words, how to put legs under the truths that we hear from scriptures. Or quite literally, how to put your faith into uh, action. Now, over the years, evangelicals uh, have kind of been down sometimes on works. Uh, The Protestant Reformation catalyst, Martin Luther, when he read the book of James, he wasn't totally sure it should even be in the Bible. And what we're going to find, though, today and moving on to the book of James is there is an inseparable connection from those who are genuinely saved that actual action will show up in their lives. It's not enough to profess Christ, but to live Christ is the genuineness of our salvation. So, James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 down through verse 27 this morning. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberties, another word for scripture there, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, contextually, I want you to uh, understand this and, and not gloss over this because it's so early in the text. But James's opening greeting here uh, is beloved brothers. Uh, he's not talking about the reformation that, that needs to happen out in a godless pagan culture. He's not talking about what people who are outside the church need to do. He's addressing Christians. And what he's saying here in this word of correction is, hey, there, there's a gap between what we say we believe and how we actually behave, and he's challenging Christians to close that gap, to reconcile our professed faith and the works of the actual real life that we're living. And so James is basically challenging us to lean in and close that gap if we want to live with spiritual integrity. And so I want you to center our time this morning around three thoughts or three hooks we're going to hang all these truths on that he's trying to press into us this morning. And so what does it look like uh, to live out your faith. Well, the first thing I want you to see in this passage is, is this, is we should receive the word humbly. Receive the word humbly. Look back at the second half of verse 19. What's he say at the second half of verse 19? Let every person, then he gives three descriptors, that if you and I are going to be humble receivers of the word, these three things should characterize our life. If we're going to Close the gap between faith and works. And so what's he say? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, one writer said this. He said, if you could reverse it around, James is basically telling us you need to hurry up and listen. Now, here's the problem with that. I'm not always in a hurry to listen to other people. Have I have any friends in the room? You ever encounter a person who... Uh, sometimes they're just listening, and the only reason they're listening is so they can take inventory of what you're saying so that they can offer you correction that you need. Isn't that a fun friend to have? Uh, I didn't know this early in marriage, and uh, uh, some people are still astounded by this that when I do marriage counseling. Uh, guys, did you know this, that sometimes when your wife is telling you a problem, she's not looking for the answer. Did you know that? And can we all agree? That's dumb. Amen. Right. If you want to offer up a, a problem, I want to wait till you pause so I can share with you the answer. Well, here's the problem. Sometimes we are so slow to hear that we're not receiving even the Word of God humbly. That our natural tendency is to push back or explain away or justify or all those kinds of things. And so uh, he's leaning into us. And uh, one writer said this. I love this statement. He said, listening is the posture of humility. Listening is the posture of humility. And so if I'm going to receive the word humbly, then guess what? I've just got a listening 
ear. I've got a listening spirit. I've got a submissive that when someone is sharing truth with me interpersonally, so the word of God's being preached, someone's sharing in a, in a life group, that my posture is to say, hey, before I can push back or, or you know, get defensive or, or justify or any of those kind of things, I'm just going to receive that word with humility. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take inventory of that because that's one of the marks of a maturing Christian. So he says I should be quick to hear or receive spiritual truth. And the second thing what we'd say is this. He also says this person is slow to speak. This is a person who immediately, once they receive the word, they don't feel the need to automatically push back. They don't feel the need to automatically tell you their thoughts or those things. They're just willing to meditate on that truth. They're letting the word of God search their hearts. They're taking inventory on when that truth is shared and saying, hey, I'm not totally sure I receive that or agree with that or see that, but I'm going to stew upon that. Several years ago, I was leading a reading a uh, leadership article, and pastor and author Tim Keller said this. He said, when you have a posture of listening, he said, even in the most unfair and what seems to be unfounded criticism that you receive, he said, you should not defend yourself, but instead, he said, here's what good leaders do. They ask this, even if that seems to be totally uncalled for and untrue, what that person said about me, he said, the humble leader always says, is there any kernel of truth that I might learn and grow from their criticism or even their counsel? Now, can I just be honest with you? I don't like that, right? I want to push back. I want to get defensive. I want to justify my motives and all those things. But James says, no, no, listen, if you're going to close the gap between faith and works, you're going to be... You're going to receive the word humbly. You're going to be slow to speak. Uh, and then lastly, he says you're going to be slow to anger. Now, is all anger sinful? No. The Bible says be angry and sin not. That little word and in there, it's uh, there on purpose that it's separating two truths, anger uh, and then sinful anger. And so there is an anger that is a righteous indignation, uh, anger that's appropriate and God-honoring and, and actually models the character of God is anger at sin. But there's also a sinful type of anger that we all are guilty of. He says the quick-tempered, selfish anger of the world. James is saying basically here that a lack of listening combined with a lack of restraint in speech leads to ill-tempered action. Now, what's the problem with anger? I don't know if you know this or not. It doesn't work. Did you know that? Now, what I did not say is that it doesn't feel good, right? Like, it feels good if someone offends me or sins again. It feels good to tee off on them. Am I right? But here's what the Scripture says in verse 19. He says, hey, here's what it looks like to receive the word humbly. And if you disregard that and you don't listen and, and you're, slow, you're quick to get angry, then verse 20, he flows right in. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does that mean? What that means is just what I said a moment ago. Anger does not work. It doesn't produce change in someone else. Every single parent should memorize this verse. Amen? And if you're here and like, you know, I just, I just never have gotten really angry at my kids. Right? Let me just share something very encouraging with you. No one else likes you. Okay? Because we're all guilty. And verse 20 is saying, you can get as angry as you want at someone, 
And it will not produce righteousness in their heart. Your external sinful anger, no matter how loud, how hot, how constant it is, it will not produce righteousness in the heart of someone else. And because it will not transform their heart, then guess what? It will not transform their behavior. That is a life-changing truth. And so in verse 20, he's saying, hey, if you don't, if you disregard all my counsel in verse 19... And you're a defensive person, you don't receive the word, you just push back, you're quick to get angry. Then verse 20, you're going to learn this lesson the hard way. And somebody say this as plain as I can. Sinful anger will never change the heart of another person. If their heart's not changed, then their behavior will never be changed as well. It says, let every person be quick to hear, verse 19, slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, are there some secondary applications uh, in these truths in verse 19 and 20 on how we relate to each other in a personal communication? Absolutely. But based on the context of what's going on here in the book of James and, and uh, chapter 1 specifically, I think the primary application of verses 19 and 20 is not how we communicate interpersonally, although there's some secondary truths there. It's how we receive the Word of God. That's the primary context here, what's going in James chapter 1. And so we, we take these and we make them relationship verses and say, well, I, do I listen to other people? Do I get angry with people? Yes, that's a secondary application. But primarily, what he's asking is this. When you approach the Word of God, are you quick to hear? Are you slow to speak? Are you slow to anger when it convicts or exposes your heart and your motives in your life? And so, sometimes we disregard this passage, and uh, let me tell you practically how this plays out. Practically how this plays out is this. We are quick to dismiss others' counsel, or we're quick to get defensive with their correction when it comes to spiritual truth. And so let me ask you a question that I had to ask myself this week, and I didn't care for the answer. How do you receive correction? Can I just expose my own heart far too often? Here's the answer, poorly. Poorly. Someone's preaching the word of God. Maybe, maybe it's a message that's convicting. You know what my sinful heart is tempted to, to think when I sit and hear preaching like that? Hey, I know someone that needs to hear that message. And God's saying, me too. It's you, right? When someone leans into my life and says, hey, I, I think there's a disconnect between what you're preaching and how you're living, I'm real quick to not receive that word. The pushback, and not always externally, but internally sometimes, I'm just dismissive, right? And so what he's saying here is, hey, Brad, there, there's some gaps between what, you're, what you believe and what you're doing, and he's leaning and saying, you need to close that gap if you're going to move on and become more like Jesus. So he says you should be quick to listen. Then verse 20 says it doesn't work the other way. You're, you get angry all you want and you get defensive and dismissive, but it's not going to produce change. But then he goes on in verse 21 on how to receive the word humbly. Look at verse 21. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Now, so many times that culturally we think meekness is weakness, but biblically speaking, meekness is controlled strength. Okay, here's a great illustration of meekness. You look at me and the physical specimen that I am and you think, that guy could crush me, but I'm very gentle. Right? That's meekness. And so he says, I should 
receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, when he talks about saving your souls, he's not talking about getting saved from, from hell. What he's talking about is it can transform your inner man. In other words, it can, if you receive the word of God humbly with meekness and let it be implanted into your heart to the point where you're actually living out of it, it will help you be more like Jesus in the inner man, not just the outer man. Now, when he says, if you've been through any biblical counselor training, uh, these phrase here, put off and put on, uh, you've heard that taught before. That's a huge part of discipleship and biblical counseling. We say, hey, put off these actions because they're hurting you spiritually. And in turn, put on these actions. So he uses that language. Now, <laughs> this is kind of gross, but you'll never forget this, all right? In the original language, uh, back in verse 21, when he says, put away all filthiness, in the original language, the word filthiness is closely related to a term used for earwax. You're never going to forget that. Am I right? Here's the word picture that's being painted. He said, just like wax buildup can impair our physical hearing, sin can greatly impair our spiritual hearing. He says, one of the ways that you're going to receive the word humbly is there's a consistent desire in your life to be putting off sin because you know that sin dulls your spiritual hearing. So James is saying, put away approaching God's word in a casual manner. Put away approaching God's word with any arrogance or self-entitlement. Put away any idols or patterns of sin in your life. And put away anything that causes you not to receive the word of God with humility. So the first thing he says, uh, if we're going to close the gap between what our life looks like and what we profess it to be, he said, number one, I'm going to have to receive the word with humility. There's not defensiveness, there's not uh, displacement on other people, my anger, but I'm going to receive the word of God with humility. Second thing he says here is not only should we receive the word of God with humility, secondly, we should regard the word highly. There should be a high regard for the Word of God. Let me ask a little survey this morning. How many of you in school, whether it was college or high school or grad school, whatever the case is, how many of you uh, were crammers? Any crammers in here? Yeah, a couple parents are pointing over at their kids, like right here, right? Now, I can't prove this, but I think that cramming is a spiritual gift. Amen? That God gives it to some people. Like, I, I've watched, I went to school with, with students who were diligent. I was not a diligent student. I've told you this before. Uh, I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I graduated first in the second half of my high school class. Literally. I was ranked 61st out of 120. It's impressive, I know. But I was always a good test taker. Uh, this is a true story. So <laughs> and we took the ACT at our school. Uh, I was ranked 61st out of 120. Uh, I had the second highest ACT score in my school. First place was the valedictorian. Second place was the salutatorian. And me. And I loved it. Amen? I was a crammer. I could cram. I could take tests. But here's the problem with that. Cramming is not a spiritual gift. And it's not a superpower. Because here's why. Two days later, you're just as ignorant. Right? You spend all that time... And someone goes back and says, hey, what'd you learn? Nothing. Learned how to survive on coffee. That's right. And so what James is saying is, says, hey, when it comes to the word of God, 
you, you, you should be doing the exact opposite. You're not a person who's just looking at it. and You, you should be gazing intently, deeply, meditating on those truths. Go back and look at verse 25 and how we should regard God's word highly. Verse 25, let me read it from a different translation. Here's what it says. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, that's just another term for scripture, and perseveres in, in other words, there's a pattern of continuance. There's not just cramming the short-term thing. There's a pattern of continuance in it. I gaze upon it. I want to continue in it. And it's not a forgetful hearer. Right, two days after the test, I don't know what I just read, I don't know what I just studied, so that, don't be like that when you approach the Word of God. You're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. Now, here's pause real quick, all right? How many of you in the room want to be blessed? Anybody? Yeah, all of us, right? Look at what he says. He said, this person, the one he just described in verse 25, will be blessed in what he does. It's one thing to glance at the scriptures like we're cramming for an exam, but it's another to look intently, to meditate on, to pause, to dwell, to memorize scripture. James does a comparison here uh, in this passage. He says sometimes uh, this person is the one who looks at scripture, who disregards this, uh, quickly kind of the way that we look uh, at the mirror too quickly on our way out of the house. Anybody ever get ready and... You're in a hurry, you're running late. So what I mean by that is you're female, amen. And you just get out of the house and all of a sudden you get out there and there's a huge stain on your shirt, right? True story this morning, this is not the shirt I was going to wear, although blue looks beautiful on me, I just want to share that. I got out a different shirt. When I got that shirt out, I laid it, it looked good in the closet. But in the laundry room, when I laid it out under the bright lights, (laughs) I saw three small Chili stains right in the middle from Skyline Chili. Now, I'm just going to tell you. I was running late, and I thought, no one's going to know. I'm far back from people. I'm just going to be totally dismissive. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying, hey, if you're not careful, that when the way that you approach the Word of God, you're like a person who quickly glances in the mirror and is like, oh, it's good, it's good, I'm, I'm totally out of the house, and it's not totally fine. He says, if you're not careful, that's the same casual attitude you're going to approach the Word of God. And let me just, full transparency, this is really easy to do when, when you're in ministry. When you're in ministry, uh, you're, sometimes if you're being honest, sometimes you're studying not to encounter Jesus, you're studying to produce talks for other people. You're, you're working through the text, but the text isn't working through you. And if I'm guilty of that, then guess what? All of us are going to be susceptible to that. And what he says here, he says, contrast that. Here's how you should approach the Word of God. Not a quick glance in the mirror and all oh, the Scripture says that, I'm good with that, and that's me, and I'm, I'm doing okay. He says, no, listen to the language. Look intently. Gaze deeply. This is not a quick devotional thought to get you through the day, and I'm all for devotions. That's the starting point, but he says, don't let that be the ending point. This quick, no reflection, no asking hard questions, no praying through the text. Just, here's a little devotional thought, and I got what I need. I'm going to check that off, and I'm going to move on throughout my day. So you're like a person who looks in the mirror, 
glances quick and says everything is fine, when in fact it's not. In different spiritual seasons, if we're honest, it's just transparent this morning, different seasons of our life spiritually, we, we approach Scripture differently, don't we? There's sometimes I'm hungry for the Word of God, and there are sometimes when I'm just going through the motions, and, and listen, that's, that's true of me, and I get paid to be spiritual, right? And so what are the ways, a few categories of how we can receive God's Word? Let me just rattle off a few here. This might be helpful. Uh, number one is just uh, indifference. I, I, I don't care what it says. If you're here, not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would uh, argue that probably you're in the category of indifference. Yeah, the Bible's got some neat things historically, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference to the real life that I'm living. And so there's an indifference there. But here's what I would tell you as well, that even a follower of Jesus Christ can approach the Word of God with indifference, all right? If you're listening, say amen. Here's what that looks like. That I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I've taken serious his message, his life, the teachings of Scripture when it comes to salvation and eternity. But in the real day-to-day life that I'm living, the Scripture has no bearing on the actual decisions that I'm making on a daily basis. The Word of God is never the filter through which my decisions are made. In other words, Jesus is good for life after death, but life before death, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. That's an indifference to the Word of God. Secondly is uh, convenience. Maybe we approach the Scriptures to back up or give spiritual authority to some type of agenda or opinion or political framework or something like that. We quote Scripture to support our topics or positions or things that we're passionate about. Sometimes we approach the Scriptures as kind of first aid. Like, I'm going to go to the Scripture only when I'm having a problem or in a crisis mode. And listen, number one, crisis should drive us to the stable, unchanging Word of God because in the Word of God is the character of God. But if that's the only time that we're motivated to get in the Scriptures, my life is messed up and i got to get in the Bible so the Bible is no longer about God. It's about helping me, that I'm the center of the universe. And so first aid... Now, sometimes it's academics. We view the Bible as a curriculum to be mastered, and Scripture here says it's a mirror to be gazed into. That the only reason I'm studying the Scripture is so I can bully other people with verses. I, I don't understand this, but I, 21 years of ministry, I've told this before, sometimes some of the most biblically literate people I've ever met have also been some of the most unloving people I've ever met. Can I just tell you this? If your study of the Word of God doesn't lead you to greater love for God and people, you're doing it wrong. If studying the Scriptures causes me to be more critical of others than it is myself, you're doing it wrong. And so some people that are studying it academically, it's not transforming them. The Bible says that knowledge not applied in love leads to pride. We don't have to wonder how that plays out. Scripture speaks to that. But then lastly, and this is what James is describing and calling us toward, is absorption. This is the person who's meditating, memorizing, 
studying deeply scripture. This, this, let me just describe it this way. This is a person with a high appetite for the word of God. Every week we're studying and we're pouring out our hearts and preaching. And most weeks I'm sweating by the end, right? And one time someone asked me, they said, does it bother you the thought that you're going to study and pray and pour out your heart and preaching? And then some people in the room are going to just walk out and do nothing with it. And I said, it doesn't bother me at all. Because here's what I'm responsible for is be faithful to the text. What I can't produce in the heart of anyone else is a hunger. I can't produce spiritual appetite in the hearts of other people. That's a freeing thing from your preaching. And so the person who's going to look intently, who's going to gaze deeply, they just got a high appetite for the Word of God. And, and if they have a high appetite for the Word of God, they're going to find strength to endure trials, message one. They're going to have tools in their toolbox to defeat temptation, message two. This is a person who's always describing what they're learning. Let, let me just share a little bit of my own spiritual journey. When my life gets spiritually flat, it's my own personal spirit, it's not, not as a pastor, as a Christian. When my life gets spiritually flat, here's one of the things that I've connected back and, and realized what's going on. I've stopped learning new things about the Word of God. I'm just coasting off of what I already know. One of our pastors recently shared a story in his life group. He said they were last week talking about this idea of insulating our minds with scriptures, with battle temptation. And he said there was a relatively new believer in my group that had just purchased a journaling Bible. And he said in just a few weeks of owning that Bible, this person in the group had filled the margin with notes. There were sticky notes all over. There were highlights everywhere. In other words, what he said is they were living out the truth of this verse. It was not enough just to read the Bible. They were devouring the Bible, absorbing it. They were doing exactly what James is saying. And he said the end result, he said it's so exciting to see the transformation taking place in their lives. Psalm, Psalm 19 says, Your word is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this or not. There's some inflation going on. Anybody? Anybody aware of that? The other day I go through the drive-thru, it's got the speaker for like $18. I'm like, for White Castle? They're like, sir, you ordered 30. It's $18, right? But can you imagine the midst of all that inflation? Walking out today and in the parking lot stumbling across a gold bar. Now, I know that all of you would just put that in your pocket so you can put it in the offering plate next week. Amen? Can you imagine how exciting that would be? Here's what Psalm 19 says. The word of God is more valuable. The word of God is more valuable. Show me a person who has a high devotion to scripture and I'll show you a person who's on the path to becoming more like Jesus. Let me say this as clear as I can. Your devotion to the word of God is directly proportionate to your development of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's as clear as I can make it. So he says, one, I should... Receive the word humbly. Number two, I should regard the word highly. And the third thing we see in this passage is I should respond to the word immediately. If you could say, hey, 
We're going to be going through the book of James now for weeks and, you know, even a series of months. And if, if you could pick one verse in the entire book of James and say, this is the verse that kind of summarizes the whole thesis of the book of James, I would point you to verse 22 in chapter 1. Look at verse 22 in chapter 1. What's it say? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's what James is saying. He's saying to hear the word of God and not put legs of obedience under it is an act of self-deception. Hear it, we read it, walk away and forget what it says. But James says, hey, if you do that, it's self-deception. Pastor and author David Platt says it like this. This is a great statement. He says, you've not really listened to the word if you've not obeyed the word. He said, the bottom line is that the word evokes action. There's no action from the word. Then clearly there's been no acceptance or listening, true listening, of the word. And so, I don't want that to be true of me, but, but it's often true. And so, what does it look like to know, in fact, that we are gazing deeply, that we are looking intently, that we are receiving the word humbly, that we are having a high regard for scripture? Well, let me say this quickly because we're almost out of time. Here's how you know that, that it's, it's actually taking place. We almost titled this last little uh, build out here, How to Know If It's Actually Working. So, so here's the good news. James is so practical. So if you're hearing this, like, I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want to be this disconnect in my life. How do I know that, in fact, I'm not doing what James says we shouldn't do? The answer is right in the text. He's going to tell you here's three checkpoints, not the only ones. Here's three checkpoints to know that the Word of God is getting inside of you, okay? Right in the text. Number one, you can control your words. Ouch. Ouch. Verse 26, basically what he's saying is this, if whatever pops into your mind comes out of your mouth without ever considering how it's going to be received, you lack wisdom. Now we're going to get this a little further in James chapter 3 when he talks about the ability to bridle our tongues, so I don't want to give away all that good stuff. But here's what he's saying, hey, listen, in our culture there's a high value of saying, well, I just speak my mind. I just tell it like it is. What James says, if that describes you without any concern for the receiver on the other end, you may be bold, but you're spiritually immature is what he's saying. I don't know the word of God is getting into me deeply because I can control what's coming out of my mouth. Verse 26. And James says, hey, if you can't control your tongue, then your religion, it is, what's the word he uses? Worthless. Second checkpoint. You show love to those who can't love you back. Verse 27, look what he says. Pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows. Let me just, it's a broad category. What's he saying? Your ability to love those who are marginalized, who often cannot show you love in return, is a key indicator that the word of God is transforming you. So can you control your speech? Verse 26, can you love people who probably can't love you back in real tangible ways, marginalized people, or do you have disdain for them? Verse 27, here's the third checkpoint, you're growing in personal holiness. Verse 27 as well. We call that progressive sanctification. 
It's the idea that, that as the word of God is getting inside of me and transforming, there's just this holy dissatisfaction inside. Not, not morbid introspection, but this holy dissatisfaction saying, hey, I, I want to wage war against sin. I got a hunger for Jesus and I want to grow in holiness. And the bad news is this. We've all got seasons and places where there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and the life that we're actually living. And James just says, hey, just do it. Close that gap. That's the bad news. We've all got these inconsistencies, me included. But here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to rely on willpower to close that gap. That doesn't work, does it? I've stared down too many donuts to know that doesn't work. Amen? That when you're connected to Jesus Christ, here's the full measure of the gospel. Not, not just he saves you from going to hell, but once you receive Jesus Christ, then guess what? You've got a new identity. And listen, when God saves you, he doesn't make you just a new and better you. It's a whole brand new identity. You're no longer the accumulation of your sins and struggles. You've got a whole new identity in Jesus Christ. And everything he said is true about you is actually true. And because you're united to Christ, you've got new potential it's as unlimited as Christ himself. You've got new power because Christ is alive in you. And you're living with new promises because the promises of God are as sure as the character of God. So here's the good news for all of us this morning. There is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I just want to ask you one question for spiritual reflection this morning. And that question is this. As we're working through this passage today, is this passage working through you? And here's what I would ask you today in a moment of spiritual reflection. As we've taught through these truths today, is there an area of your life where you know that what you say you believe in the life that you're living has become disconnected? Are there some things that you know you've got to put off so that you can put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And if God is bringing conviction into your life today then hear me this morning that is God's mercy in your life that is God's grace made tangible through the power of conviction it's conviction is God telling you turn away from that and find identity and refuge in Jesus and so that's you today. There's an area of your life, your inability to love someone, your inability to reconcile, your inability to live in, with spiritual integrity, whatever it is. If that's you today, would you just confess that before the Lord? Would you just tell the Lord right now, to confess means to agree. Would you just say, Lord, this is an area of my life where I've made peace with being a hearer and not a doer. Would you just confess that? But not only would you confess it, would you repent or have a desire to turn away from it? And by faith today, 
would you receive the grace of God for forgiveness? Would you pray right now, Lord, not my own strength, not my own willpower, Lord, empower me to do what left to myself I have not been able to do to this point. And would you thank God right now for the victory that's found in Jesus. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for the truths of the gospel. We're grateful for the hope of heaven. God, we're grateful that in the meantime, between now and heaven, that the word of God is completely sufficient for the real life that we're living. And so, Lord, help us to be doers of the word. God, help us to, the Spirit of God would root out any areas of hypocrisy in our life for one simple reason, so that the glory of God can be displayed through us. And God, whatever progress we make today, whatever changes we make this week, we lay all of that credit at your feet. You alone change hearts. We're grateful that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.